It's a pastor down in South Carolina named Ricky Zell, and he says, uh, he said, let's call her Bonnie. But there are many people who could fit her description. She was strikingly beautiful. She was intelligent. She was well-dressed, yet she had the appearance of a frightened bird. She talked of her loneliness and her hunger to find love. She desperately longed for someone who would give her love. As he listened to her story, he thought, surely a woman as nice-looking as this must have plenty of dates and many opportunities to fall in love. How was it that Bonnie possessed so many outwardly beautiful attributes but lacked the self-confidence to draw men? It came from her memories of rejection. When Bonnie was nine, she grew five inches, and during junior high school, she was always the tallest girl in the class. At 5'10", she stopped growing, and now, as a woman, her height sets off her good looks. But she can't believe that, and she can't remove from her mind the memories of school dances where all of her friends would be chosen and she would be left alone. She recalls the hurtful words of classmates calling her names, and maybe you don't know what it's like, she would say to be in a group and be the only one that's not chosen. It makes you just feel like a piece of junk. A multitude of studies in the last 40 years indicate that the way we see ourselves determines a large degree the way we act and react in life. That one's self-perception, self-worth, self-esteem tends to be a governing factor in our life. If we see ourselves as a loser, we end up to a large degree acting like a loser. If we see ourselves as a victim, we tend to let people victimize us. If we see ourselves as uncreative, we never come up with any creative ideas. If we see ourselves as a piece of junk, we begin to think that we are garbage. If we see ourselves as successful, then we tend to repeat success that we've had in the past. Like Bonnie, we can set ourselves up, set our beliefs up to determine our behavior. As Bonnie's stories indicates, the beliefs that we have about ourselves originate in childhood. Unfortunately, some, some or many of those beliefs are false. Many people have a negative view of themselves because of erroneous information they have received from misinformed and unauthorized sources in their lives. We need to look at ourselves from a different perspective. We need to hear from an informed and authorized source. When the authority of God, when God tells us something, we can count on it. God is our authority on who we are. He is our creator. He gives us the correct information, and he is the one that we should be listening to about who we are. And so today we are going to dive into our scriptures because as we begin to understand the beauty of who God is, we then begin to understand who we are and not let the voices that may have tried to dominate from a negative perspective reign, but actually let God's voice reign the loudest in our lives. So will you join me in turning to Genesis 1? Because we've been doing our foundational studies, doing our foundations of the faith, talking about what are the key components to having a strong Christian life for you to be able to have a, a good start, a good foundation, a good sturdy uh, underpinning, a good way that you can say, okay, I may not know everything, 
but I know enough to live for Jesus. And so we're covering that in this series, Foundation of the Faith. And Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And uh, I want you to tell me if you see a theme starting to pick up. God's word is what's going to change us all. And while I give some insight at times and reflections and maybe get you to laugh a little bit, uh, God's word is what changes us. And so we're going to hear from God's word for a little bit. Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was with the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate from the waters, separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which there is seed, each according to its kind, on earth. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of heaven. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and seas and let the birds multiply on earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. All right, Pastor, we with you. We with you. We know you're reading a lot, though. You're reading a lot. We're getting caught up in the expanse and the birds and everything. Family, we, we want it. We want it. 
This is a very important story, and so instead of me trying to summarize it, I wanted you to hear directly from God's word. But it's interesting because we've gone in five days already, and in five days, man isn't even mentioned. God has been doing something. God has been allowing there to be an expression from him. God has been creating before man came on the scene. I say that because it's something that's supposed to first, like, humble us. Because sometimes we can think that we the apple of God's eye in the sense that once humans are here, that's when the party starts. That, that, that we are the beginning of the Bible story, and it's, not, it's just not the case, actually. God is saying, I am the creator. I have created all things. I am displaying my creation. I will show you each day another expression of my power, another expression of my artistry. I am creating, and I am giving instruction. Hey, birds, go ahead and multiply. Go ahead and do your thing, rabbits. Go, go ahead and, and, and be fruitful. But you should already be noticing a theme as well, that God is creating. He gives a couple orders, but not only does he create, he also steps back and looks at his creation and says, you're looking good. Steps back like, like, it is so, it is good. What I have made is good. And um, I'm going to tell y'all, like, like, like you, you can only be good when you are living out the purpose by which God has created you. So God is standing back after he makes something, and he's like, okay, sky. Yes. You're doing exactly as I intended. Heavens, exactly as I intended. I was, uh, I was 16 when I got my license. My birthday is November 20th. I think I got my license on November 21st. I couldn't wait. Mama gave me a Cadillac. Ooh, 16 with a Cadillac? It was on. I'm like, okay, I got the caddy. But don't get it twisted. This Cadillac was like, a, a Cavalier. It was called a Cadillac Cimarron. It was like the smallest Cadillac they have ever made. And so I'm excited about this car. I'm excited about the Cadillac. And I tell y'all, the Cadillac spent more time in the shop than it did me driving the Cadillac. You see, you can have all the excitement you want. You can be excited about the name of something. But if it doesn't live up to its purpose... It's not good. So that's why God steps back and he sees all that he's created and he says, it is good. It is good. Because everything is doing what God has intended. As the king, he created it all. It is all working in the fashion that it's supposed to. And he steps back and says, it is good. Continue reading with me. Verse 24, day six. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according 
to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds, over the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. It's a little humbling. A little humbling because... What's up, God? A brother can't get his old day? Like, we sharing a day with the birds, with the, you know, swimming things. He say even the creepy crawlies, like, we, we get created on the day the slugs get made. You know what I'm saying? Like, l- l- Lord, like, and, and God is trying to show us that he's weaving humanity into his creation narrative. That the narrative, not a humanity narrative, and everything else fits under that, that there's a creation narrative, that God is in control of all things, king of everything, and that humanity fits within that. So when he steps back and says, it is good, he's saying, you fit right into my creative expressions. I've created mountains, and I've created man. But there's some two things that are unique about man. Two things that are different than the way God creates everything else. He says in verse 27 that we are created in his own image. That means that that we are reflecting him somehow. And if I could show you all the volumes of teachers and professors and pastors that try to debate over what this looks like. It looks like we have feelings. It looks like we We have faces. It looks like we can sing like all these different. Y'all, we don't know exactly what being created in God's image means. We're going to find that out in heaven. When Jesus is lying, dancing with us like, what? Y'all ain't know? I get down too. There's going to be a time when all this mystery takes place and it's gone and we get to say, oh, that's how we were created like you. That's how we are. We are connected in a way that's deeper than just physical. And so he says to us that we are created in his image, but he also says in verse 28 that we are to be fruitful and multiply, which he told the animals 
But he says, and fill the earth and subdue it, you have dominion over it. Fill the earth, subdue it, you have dominion. What is dominion? Dominion is the extension of kingdom rule. So God is saying, I am king, I created everything, I am in charge. All that exists came from me. I set things in motion. This creation that I said is good is not pushed off to sea and now it floats by itself. I still sustain the world. I keep the world going. The world exists because of me. And what I'm going to do is extend my kingdom authority unto you and say, now I want you to rule it correctly. I'm asking you, my created person, that's a part of the bigger creation story, to actually have some kingdom influence, kingly power. You are not the king. I, as God, am the king. But on this earth, you extend my kingdom dominion. You see yourself as a king? You see yourself as a, as a queen? You see yourself as an extension of God's kingdom hand here on earth? Psalm 24 says this. It said, the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. But then it says in Psalm 115, 15 and 16, it says, may you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven. The highest of heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. Why? He's saying, I'm, I'm extending this creation, which is mine. I'm extending it unto you to lead and have kingdom dominion over. Psalm 8 says it. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet. Lastly, we, we see God resting. In Genesis 2, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested on that last day. So God created everything, allowed us to be a part of that, that created story. And then says, I want you to be, a, be an advancer of my kingdom. But I want to make sure that we understand there's a difference between kingdom authority and stewardship. Kingdom authority and stewardship. Stewardship is a concept that you find in the Bible that's mostly associated with things. How are you going to care for resources? How are you going to care for money? Stewardship is usually designed to talk about like the efficiency of, of how you organize an item. Kingdom authority is talking about caring for people. It's talking about caring for God's creation. It's talking about more than just money. And so God extends to us his kingdom authority and says, are you seeing yourself how I see you? Are you seeing yourself as a kingdom advancer, are you seeing yourself as an extension of my goodness? 
Because I'm trying to set everything in order to work as it should, and I want you to be a part of that equation. And then something happens. Then we get chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. Because up to now, everything's beautiful. God's creation is good. He's put humanity in a place where we respond faithfully to do as he says. We, we are called to be, uh, yes, to be good stewards, but more than that, to be his kingdom extension. And then in chapter 2, starting with verse 15, it says, The Lord took man, put him in the garden to work it and keep it, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Y'all know what this is like. You know, we don't know what this is like. It is tough to imagine having every need that you have ever imagined already met and then being told there's one thing you can't have. You see, our, our approach is a little different. Our, our approach is old country buffet. Or uh, what, what's the new one? Golden Corral. So you walk in the Golden Corral and you hungry in the mud. You ready to throw down. Let them not have the biscuits. You got a whole thing. You got 99 options. If they miss the one item you're ready to go crazy. That one item, now you want more than anything else. See, we don't, we don't know what it's like to, to come in and have every need already met and God say, but don't touch that one. We think of it from a human perspective of, wouldn't that be tempting? Wouldn't that be? No. Every need was met. Every appetite already met. And then the slithering one. Slides in. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I know, y'all, we could just sit here and just start going at it. Sister's like, yeah, you were standing there quiet. Here you go again, brother. Why you give me the fruit? Why you give me the, you know, we can start going at it. This, this is not going to be the time where, where we throw stones at each other. For us being in this predicament, what we know is that Satan deceived us. 
what we know is that we had every need met. And God trusted us. Trusted us to be an extension of his kingdom mercy in the Garden of Eden. And that was to spread and continue outside of the Garden of Eden. And then we chose to entertain the ideas of the tempter that ultimately led to our demise as humans. So here's some of the effects of the fall. Loss of our righteousness, our, our, our intimacy with God, which was pure and holy. We lost that. We, we had a, a close connection with God, and now there's a separation from him. That which God gave us to kingdomly rule and to kingdomly advance and said, I'm going to hook you up with everything you need in order to be able to take care of it. Now the very earth that we've come from that he's empowered us to manage is now fighting against us. The environment is cursed. We now have physical death that enters into the scene. And lastly, Because of the grievous sin that we commit, we start to know what it means to be ashamed. So we cover up and we clothe and we hide from a God who was so beautiful and intimate that we need, we could be totally vulnerable. Sin is that 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 thing that like even if even if you try to make it better. You keep making it worse. It's like, it's like when I cook. <laughs> Wifey laughing too much. Wifey laughing too much, y'all. But I got, I, got, I got a little recipe. I got the recipe, and I'm good, kind of. I'm good on the recipe, kind of. And then I, like, realize I accidentally put something wrong. Like, oh, man, that was... I thought that was parsley. I put in sage. Okay. But then let me compensate with some salt and some soy sauce and some barbecue sauce. And, and it just like keeps going downhill from there. I'm trying to tell y'all. But, but some of us know what's that like, what's that, what that is like with relationships. Where you, you think that like, I'm getting my mind right. I'm about to go apologize and, 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 and even my apology just like makes it worse and worse and worse. And that's the effects of sin. Sin is you can't make it better yourself. It's not about your desire. It's not about your hope. It's not about your wishes. You in and of yourself don't have the ability to make it better yourself. Actually, you just keep stirring it and making it worse. God said, I had you as my kingdom advancer. Do you know I saw you as good? I saw you as righteous. I saw you as close. And now you keep separating yourself further and further and further from me. It's why we needed a savior. That's why we needed someone to help us because we kept continuing to go deeper and deeper in sin. And it didn't start with actions that we were aware of when we were adults. 
Romans 3.23 says it started at the time we took our first breath. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That our parents, Adam and Eve, handed something to us in the DNA of who we are, that we didn't just get the the likeness of pretty teeth and the likeness of of pretty hair and the likeness of, of 20, 20, 40, 40, 90, 90 vision. You know, we got their drama, too. We got their issues, too. We got their sin patterns, too. It's funny that now as, a, as, a, as an adult that has children, sometimes my kids will do something, and I'm like, that ain't nothing but me. <laughs> I ain't want to give you that part, brother. <laughs> I ain't want to give you that, but I, I, I know that that's too much like me. So that's what happened with our, our spiritual parents. We, we've been infected by sin, but there's something beautiful that happens. That verse in Romans continues on. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25 say this. As a response to our, our need for help, it says, For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. Uh, excuse me. All, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. He passed over former sins. I think that there is an... an event that took place in history that will help us understand what God is saying there. In history, we had uh, something called the Emancipation Proclamation. This was done by Abraham Lincoln, uh, and he, he brought it into pass or created it in 1862. It uh, stipulates, and this is from uh, the History Channel, uh, dot com, um, 10 facts about the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, it stipulated that the southern states did not see, if they did not cease their rebellion by January 1st, then this proclamation would go into effect. And basically what the proclamation said was that any of the Confederacy, any of those states that were fighting against the Union, uh, their slaves would be freed, except for Louisiana and Virginia, because they were already connected to, um, to the Union. And so the reason why this took place was not just out of the goodwill of people, though we wish that was the case, uh, but it took place because the North didn't want to lose the battle. And so when uh, Lincoln first came to his cabinet, he said, hey, um, I want to see us win, and I would love to see us be able to uh, take over this battle, but we're going to have to do something different. And I see freeing the slaves as one big step towards us being able to beat the South because then those slaves will be able to sign up and enlist in the army and help us fight. 
And his cabinet said no. They said, no, that, that's not going to work because you don't have the power to demonstrate that if you sign this in the law that you can enforce it. Because sure, the president could write down whatever. But if you don't have the military might, if you don't have the ability to enforce freeing slaves, then we're really going to look like we're, all of our credibility is going to be shot. And so after a major battle took place, where even though the Union wasn't able to drive the Confederacy out, but they did take back Baltimore, Lincoln said, now's the time. And so he brought forth the Emancipation Proclamation after a key victory had happened. And that victory brought forth what would eventually be the demise of, of slavery. But at that time, it changed that changed the everyday experience of black people. They went from being enslaved to not only being freed, but also equipped with machinery, equipped with guns, and paid to be a part of the military. Not equal pay, you know what I'm saying? It still was, they still made 3 to $4 a week less than whites and were charged for their uniforms and whites were given to them free. There still was in it, in it, but they went from being in bondage to now being equipped and paid. It's one of Lincoln's, Lincoln says, and we know there's a lot of interesting history around my brother as to when he had slaves and things of that nature, but Lincoln says that of all the things he'd done, this signing of the Emancipation Proclamation is the one thing he wants to be remembered for and the most powerful thing he's done while in office. Why do I bring that up, family? I bring it up because it, it helps us like be reminded of, of things that take place in history that can point us toward Christ. Because you see, an, an event took place in the life of Jesus where he died on the cross for our sins, where, where he went on our behalf to say, yeah, they're in bondage. Right now, they are spiritually in bondage to sin. And what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow a victory to take place where I conquer sin, where I free them from the bondage that they were in, but not only am I going to free them, I'm also going to equip them. I'm also going to bless them. I'm also going to empower them. So if we had a list of things that was a part of the fall, you know I like lists. We got to have a list of things that's a part of the benefits of of the redemption. Because redemption, Jesus redeeming us, is, is this simple concept. Has anybody ever used a coupon before? They don't even know what those are no more. We used to pick, take them on Sunday paper, cut them out. It was actually a piece of paper back in the day. It wasn't an app. Um, you use a coupon, you take it, and what they do is they apply the coupon towards your balance. You see, the, the concept of redemption means that there's been a redeeming that's happened. There's been a, a paying forward towards a balance that now is at zero. God said, you had a balance. 
And the only way it could have been paid was through death. The balance of sin that you owed only could have been paid through death. And Jesus says, I got him. Jesus says, I got her. Jesus says, I will allow there to be a victorious event that happens when I conquer death and I reign. And guess what? All that you owe wiped away. Not because of you and your greatness, not because of me and my smartness, not because of you and your coolness, but because of Christ and his mercy. But not only do we have that, check out these benefits of redemption. So we get eternal life. Hallelujah. You get forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. We're made righteous. Hallelujah. Freedom from the law's curse. Adoption into God's family, deliverance from sin's bondage, peace with God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Are you starting to see that like you being placed back in your kingdom position? That God had creation always an order to creation. And in that order, he saw you being an advancer of his kingdom which we all jacked up at some point due to our sinful nature, but God's like, let me reset that with my love. Let me reset that with my blood. Let me reset that with my life. And then what happens to you? And you get the benefits. We get the benefits. We get to be made righteous. We get to be adopted. We get to be delivered. We get to experience peace. You see, family, there was only one way that we could respond to a a sinful demise, and that's to accept a holy God, Jesus himself, coming to care for us, to love us, to provide a way for us to be made righteous again. I um, was kind of blown away. I was was kicking it at... um, at the barbershop, and um, and the barbershop, they had they had these T-shirts for sale, and I was just like, "Look at you, Lord!" Like as I'm wrestling through these gospel things, they had these things listed up, and it said East Side Royalty. And I'm like, "Man, there you go again, right? Just like the robes, just like everything else. See, we can sell a shirt like this, and it'd be like, I'm royalty." I'm better than everybody else in here. Say something. You know, that, that, can be, that can be the posture. That can be the way you come at it. Or you can say, man, God is my king. And he extends his royal hand unto me. So why would I let somebody else define who I am? Why am I letting aunties, uncles, mamas, being alone, Friends dogging me. Why am I letting that perspective be what settles with me instead of seeing myself how God sees me as a royal extension of his grace, a royal extension of his kingdom advancement, a royal extension of his mercy? Yes, even you. Degree, no degree, house, no house, bank account on two million or bank account on negative 200. Yes, Even you, he says, I see as royal. 
because I am the king and you are a servant unto me that is an extension of my kingdom authority. Family, when we allow God's victory on the cross to renew our minds, to reset us, to say, Father, would you just let me see myself as you see me? Some deep stuff in here, God, but let me see myself as you see me. Family, we make it. We, we, it it's going gonna, it's gonna to be life-changing. It's life-changing for how we love others, for how we care for others, how we allow others to love us, and it's life-changing for how we communicate who God is. Not this pretty God that's going to save you and, uh, excuse me, he's going to save you, but a pretty God that's going to, like, come and help your bank account right away. No, like, like, it's so much more than that. You are royal in his eyes. See yourself as such. Let's pray. Father, it is um, tough for us to fathom because we know the depths of the pain. We know what it was like not having dad there. We know what it was like having mom struggle. We know what it was like having to move around so much and not being able to establish close friendships. We know what it was like to experience hunger. We know what it was like to have been taken advantage of. We, we have all these ideas, Lord, and clear memories of the pain. And then it's tough, Lord, to stop and allow your righteous hand to heal it. But you want to. You desire to. I almost want to say, God, you are pleading to let us, to let you have the burdens that we carry. Lord, would you allow us as your people to see ourselves in the way you see us? With our issues and all, that you would say, yep, and that's my righteous daughter. Yes, and that's my righteous son. Come here. We love you, Lord, and we are thankful for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.